Hey, welcome to the Thoughtcast. I'm your host, Philip Elke, coming to you from northern Minnesota. And today I'm joined by Jody Pulaski. Hey, Jody, coming in from Georgia. How are you doing? Hey, Philip. It's so great to be here. The past few weeks have been super, super busy. So I was excited that we'd get this chance to hop back in and, and talk a little bit. Yeah, busy times. Uh, end of May is always crazy transitioning into summer i love this time of year i mean associated of course with like the end of school and things like that but um, for me it's like you're kind of entering into that summer island time and you just want to kind of chill and relax but you're so excited that you're able to like sit back and relax so it creates this weird contrast i don't know if you feel a similar way like the excitement of th that simmering excitement for for vacation and relaxation and it's kind of um yeah it, it creates like a weird incongruity <laughs> yeah i think that's sort of built into my dna from like elementary school and high school is like kind of the ending of the school year slash the fall coming into a new school year like there is something just really mm. joyous about it you know that the changing yeah. of the seasons and going into this this free period, I guess, even though we both technically keep on working throughout the summer, there is a different vibe to it. Yeah, totally. You know, I remember as a kid, of course, like, you know, we love sleeping in on weekends, you know, as adults, and I did certainly as a teenager. And, but sometimes it's like as a kid, you, you get up earlier on the weekend because you're excited uh you know than you do during the school week and you know a lot of times you know for us we still remember saturday morning cartoons uh and of course here we're we're talking tunes on the thoughtcast conversations about animation uh we are talking animated series uh today actually too so i uh i definitely you know have some flashbacks to some of those days of getting up early on a saturday to catch some uh <laughs> some cartoons similar to these and maybe there's even some crossover in some of the folks who worked on some of those series that I watched as a kid working on on some of these uh, episodes that we're going to talk about today but yeah Jody uh, what are what are we talking about today do you care to uh... I would love to tell everyone we're talking about Star Wars visions it's nine episodes that come together with Japanese animation studios um, that explore the Star Wars universes, they all kind of come at it from different perspectives. So it's not like a chronological series. You can sort of watch one and then watch the final one and then watch the third one. And like I told Philip before we started, I am not a well-versed Star Wars um, fan, but this series is really good for anyone who likes animation and who likes music and like fun storylines and cool character development within these 10 minute clips. I, I really enjoyed it. And I did not expect myself to say that when you suggested this hmm. series. Yeah, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Um, this is kind of a, a unique offering from Disney Plus. And, you know, we got a lot of new Star Wars content on the horizon with some announcements that have been happening you know, basically, as we speak, there's the big Star Wars convention going on in Anaheim, Star Wars Celebration. Uh, you know, this episode, this uh, you know, podcast episode is definitely going to be targeted towards a more casual audience. You don't have to be hardcore into Star Wars to uh, you know understand what we're talking about here. Especially, you know, Jody, you're fairly uh, you know now you haven't seen all the Star Wars films. I would say 
I have only seen the one with the little boy who has a bowl cut. I was probably sure. eight years old when I watched it. He's friends with Jar Jar Binks, I think. Yeah. And that, that is the one that I have seen. Mm-hmm. And it really scared me when I watched it. And then I just never really went back to that place. However, because I'm a Disney person, mm-hmm. I have got a chance to get to know the characters in the sense of, you know, seeing them at the parks, riding the rides. I do have a sense of the world they're from, but when it comes down to, you know, who is this character versus that, I would not be the best person to turn to. But again, that didn't deter me from from this vision series. Well, thank you. I know it can be kind of daunting stepping foot into a whole new franchise. And I don't know, there may have been times where I, just kind of jumped into something without much context at all. And and that can be kind of hit and miss. Uh, Star Wars is so vast, though. The production values are usually so huge. Um, you know, this is a very high quality series, the an, you know animation level. A lot of big studios from Japan who uh, were behind these uh, various short films. Um, so th- that's one advantage with Star Wars. You know, you're, you're, you're going to be getting some level of quality um, I think for me, like Star Trek, you know, was always compared to Star Wars growing up, but I wasn't nearly as familiar with that until much later. Uh, and so it felt just kind of awkward sitting down to watch a random Star Trek movie, but it was sort of like morbid curiosity for me. Uh, and like I started with like the last Star Trek film that had Patrick Stewart as like the lead uh, character. And, and that one doesn't have a very good reputation so it's like just this kind of bizarre introduction to all these you know, beloved characters uh, for whom I had very little context or familiarity. <laughs> so, uh, so, but since then, like I've grown to appreciate that franchise, you know, Star Trek and I don't know, a few other things that I don't know. I, I feel like a comparison would maybe be like Doctor Who, which is a massive franchise that mm-hmm. I've no acquaintance with hardly at all you're not really a harry potter person either and that's another i mean i've read the books but you're not like in you're not like the biggest biggest like harry you know some people out there are like huge harry potter people i i would say i'm fairly fluent on the on eh, kind i mean maybe i'm the one who's not the harry potter person like i know of it but i don't know enough to know like besides dumbledore and like the basics there yeah there's a lot of deep lore that i would just be totally clueless of and yeah i mean i don't know i'm i am a dorky nerd but like (laughs) some people are just so invested in different things and and to me it's like i i like to keep things at arm's length to a certain extent you know like elsa says let it go like i there were there have been times in my life where like i i really like to obsess over things but that those days are kind of behind me and I'd, I'd rather try to live in the real world, you know, to an extent. Uh, but, but as far as an escapism goes, there really is no place I'd rather escape to than the galaxy far, far away. I mean, I do love the wizarding world and I've never been to actually one of the theme parks, but I I'm very excited to do so whenever I get that chance. 
Um, I've, I always loved having like Harry Potter dreams as a kid. I feel like those were the best, even maybe more so than like Star Wars or Lord of the Rings or something. There's just something about that. I think probably because those stories had like kids as the central character. So they're like more my age and that type of thing. Mm -hmm. um, but like, yeah, the, these, uh, you know, you, you describe these um, Star Wars tales as being pretty immersive and like a fun journey to like a, a, a new universe sort of away from the trials of, of you know our crazy world that we live in <laughs> uh, yeah exactly just like you said it's it's a galaxy far far away and I know that there's a lot of people right now that need that place to yeah. go to so so this is really good timing and like you said yeah. there's a lot of Star Wars stuff happening out there right now so no no better time like the present to jump right into it yeah yeah um yeah the, these um films are all like under 20 minutes for the most part um right around 20 minutes or less sort of like a, an episode of an animated series uh most of them are done by totally separate um studios from japan animation studios there i think there's one studio that did two of them but uh, other than that um it's just it's a very fanciful kind of diverse array of tales that we're given um, set within sort of hypothetical versions of the galaxy far, far away uh, to the degree that these aren't considered um, like part of the official canon of Star Wars, that they aren't continuous with other stories that are, you know, part of the official storyline. Uh, however, like I, I feel like one purpose behind these um, these animated shorts is to perhaps continue or as, you know, like a potential pilot for a, a series. And I would love to see some of these um, stories potentially continue in a future series, you know, if they're able to invest kind of the time and money into doing so. Yeah, I mean, they uh, many of them leave you on a cliffhanger. I know we're going to talk about the duel first. Um, mm -hmm. Again, when you watch these, you don't have to watch them in a particular order, but I think we're going to kind of go through them one through nine. And the duel is the first one. And I know that's animated by Kamikaze Duga. Mm. Duga. And um, that's one that does end with a cliffhanger. Um, what did you think about the first one? Like, was that the first one you watched? Did you go in order when you watched them? Yeah, I and I've seen most of these um, basically twice. Um, I, I think the first time I watched these, I didn't pay that close attention. Um, I just I don't know. I think I sort of rushed through them and I knew that I was going to watch them again, you know, probably for the show, the podcast. But um, that I, did not occur until just now. These were released in September of last year. Um, but yeah, the duel, you know, is one of the most striking of these nine, uh, just visually. Uh, and that, that was, I think, I mean, that's sort of my primary takeaway from it. Uh, however, um, you know, it's, it's an interesting story about kind of like, a, um, you know, set, like the seven samurai tale of like a village coming under attack um, and a samurai having to defend yeah. Yeah. he's yeah. basically like a wanderer that comes in and there's some fight scenes and defending the villagers but in the end it turns out that 
he's there to get the crystals, right? So the guy you thought was mm -hmm. good is actually there to collect the crystals. That's right. There, um, well, yeah, there, there's one um, forced user that's leading these bandits, right? Um, this female Sith. Um, and like, as a Star Wars fan, like, I'm always curious about how is uh, the franchise evolving to portray various factions like the Sith and the Jedi and like are we calling anyone who wields the force and is good like a Jedi or just people who are officially part of like this you know formal um, organization known as the Jedi Order or like and is any person who uses the force for evil you know a Sith <laughs> I mean that that's sort of the shorthand among casual you know, fans and, and viewers of Star Wars, like, oh, this guy has a red lightsaber. That must mean he's a Sith. But I, but more hardcore fans will know that, well, or, or even just casual viewers of like the, the films now know that, you know, it, it's stated in the films that, you know, only two there are a master and apprentice when it comes to the Sith. Um, but, you know, that that has varied throughout like the Star Wars timeline. If you get deep into the Star Wars lore that, you know, there doesn't just have to be two, you know, Sith at the same time. Sometimes, you know, there are various points in the timeline where they are sort of like an inverse Jedi order where they're, they're just a, an organization with, with lots of members. Or if you just want to apply the term Sith as a generic moniker for, for someone with a red lightsaber, as many of these episodes seem to do, I, I guess that can be appropriate as well, especially if these aren't considered canon. So sorry about all the <laughs> droning on about terminology, but uh, <laughs> just things like that really like pique my interest when it comes to um, people offering their unique perspectives on Star Wars. And I, I like to keep things fairly like consistent with my prior knowledge of how things are supposed to sort of work um, but I, I think um, as far as this fits into the Star Wars timeline, there is a context that is written down here. It's like set in an alternate history 20 years after a war between feudal Jedi Empire and a renegade Jedi sect called the Sith. Uh, so, so I guess this could be. I, I consider I them the Sith. Like when, um, so when the lady came out, I consider her called like the Sith lady. Mm. And the first question that came into my head was, are are there Sith ladies in the actual movies? And then I was like, you know what, Jody? Like it doesn't matter because this is like mm. its own unique thing. But I thought the Sith lady was was very cool, very elegant, mm -hmm. and she had an umbrella lightsaber that I <laughs> thought was very impressive. Um, I really liked this first one. I mean, it's obviously so different from watching like a live action. It's kind of like black and white, almost like cinematography sketch. Oh yeah. Um, and it's just the opposite of what you would expect to see. So it grabbed my attention right away. Um, the storyline itself, like it didn't leave like the biggest impression, but because I was so engaged with like the actual moments that were happening sure. i didn't really think about that until afterwards in hindsight um but i liked it i it was one of my favorite ones just because of how unique the animation was yeah uh, visually beautiful like i 
um, it was the first one I rewatched and I was immediately just yeah, captivated by the visual presentation. Um, and like, it was cool seeing familiar Star Wars uh, creature or uh, species, alien species um, rendered like this, you know, and the, you know, the, the motion and, uh, you know, the, you, you see how any kind of light source is that is in color, um, but the rest of the environment is in monochrome. Um, so the, the lightsabers are red, you know, laser blasts or, you know, whatever color the lasers are um, and, and various other light sources throughout, you know, little just like blue, red, you know, t touches of blue and green and, and different things like the, the little, I don't know, flashy uh, lights that <laughs> that the technology in Star Wars tend to produce. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's a, uh, you know, the, this uh, samurai character, he's and, and I guess he, according to this, this is just like an alternate history. So it's not really supposed to tie into any um, of the Star Wars saga that closely the, the stormtrooper armor. I noticed it did look like the stormtroopers from the sequel trilogy. Um, but I don't, you know, I don't know if there's that close a connection. This, this Ronin has been going around collecting lightsaber crystals and he even has a, a red lightsaber, but he's sort of the, the protagonist, even though, you know, he has a lightsaber that's, I, and I'm all for like <laughs> good guys using unconventional lightsaber colors I mean, keeping us on our toes. Yeah, it's like like who's good yeah. and who's bad and where does those lines, you know, go in? There's a later episode where like the lightsaber color changes depending on who the it. yeah, the wielder. Uh -huh. I, I, I don't really like that concept, but it's specifically stated in the episode that um, these lightsabers were engineered to do that. But like otherwise, you know, we've seen in the films, you know, the saber color doesn't change depending on the you know, te um, sort of temperament of the user. Uh, you know, one of the famous, most famous duels is between, you know, Anakin Skywalker and Obi-Wan Kenobi, where they both have blue lightsabers and Anakin's been turned to the dark side and, and is, has been um, dubbed Darth Vader by uh, his Sith master. So uh, it's more just, you know, a technological thing than a force thing. But there, there is, I, I think there is inherently some kind of like force process in the creation of lightsabers in general um, that makes them kind of unique to force users. Um, so, so I'm fine with there being like not really a hard, fast rule when it comes to some of these things like lightsaber colors or how they work. How, you know how they get their power um, it's, it's, it's just there's just a lot of like really cool like nerdy revelations about how lightsabers work in some more recent um series as well i don't know have you seen the mandalorian jody or the book of boba fett no i know i'm disappointed <laughs> no, it's okay. in that sense <laughs> no, no it's fine but like there's this lightsaber that's black um that's and, the one i would yeah. want <laughs> yeah it's, it's pretty crazy but like i think um you know it explains that that these 
um, weapons, like they don't, they aren't weightless. Like the, the lightsaber beam is supposed to have a mass to it. Um, and I guess it just sort of channels energy from the universe. And so when you turn it on, it, I guess, um, increases in, in weight and mass. And in order to use it, you kind of have to, or use it effectively, you, you have to be able to flow, you know, ideally like with the force or with some sort of skill or training. And if you don't, you'll just act like a klutz when you try to use a lightsaber <laughs> if, you, if you aren't trained. So yeah, it's, it's a pretty unique. I, I like that concept that the lightsaber isn't just this kind of like weightless beam of light. Yeah, it makes it a little more intense when you think about it in that sense um, versus like just a little laser beaming mm -hmm. out, you know. But uh, overall, I thought this one was good. I mean, to me, it didn't feel like it introduced like any new like storyline concepts, but um, yeah, yeah, good. it's a yeah, cool archetype. Um, I I'm not a huge fan of like the crazy, bizarre lightsaber variants, like the lightsaber umbrellas. It, it was cool that oh, it was. See, I thought that was fun. I thought that was very imaginative. Like, do yeah. they ever have something like that in the actual Star Wars universe or galaxy, where the star, like a tool yeah. like that, or is that very unique to this? You know, this vision. I I would accept it if it were introduced in a canon um series or film uh just because it's like this kind of cool attachment that refracts the blade it's not her actual you know she, she removes the the umbrella attachment when she goes to actually fight ronin and i think that's that's a neat concept that it's kind of like kylo ren in the sequel films where he's got a cross guard on his lightsaber if you do you remember how he kind of has a, a, a cross shaped lightsaber. Mm. <laughs> oh, did, did the internet go out? Can you hear me? Not on my. Oh no. I, I can, you're cutting in and out. Ah. <laughs> I'm going to X out and come back. No, no, no. I, I, I think I had an internet hiccup and uh, now, now we're back. It's a sign that it's time to talk of the tattoo knee one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, um, with the first episode, there was just a lot of context I wanted to get out. Um, yeah, because you're sort of explaining your mm -hmm. perspective of how you view the rules of the worlds. I, I yeah. get what you're saying for sure. Like how your perspective of, you know, the changes that they make to it, while also like accepting the changes that they're making to it. I get it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because some but, of these get, uh, some of them are way more bizarre than others, but they're all kind of bizarre <laughs> in their own way. Like, I'm just uh, pushing for us to get to the T.O.B. one episode. So like, whatever sure. we got to do. <laughs> yeah. No, but I like the next one, too. The second one. I'm, I'm a, I thought that one was, well, you kick it off because I don't know if you're going to splice this somehow. Oh, no, no, no. I, um, we're still in the episode. I'll, I'll keep this in. Oh, Because, uh, awesome. yeah, I mean. I don't want to go too slow, but I also kind of want to maybe touch on each episode if we can. But um, yeah, hopefully, um, you know, we can get through <laughs> some of these fairly quickly because like I think this next one, this yeah. next one we can. So like the second one is I think you say Tatooinean Rhapsody. I think that's yeah. what it's, how you pronounce it. Uh, Tatooine, which is Tatooine. It's the most famous planet in Star Wars because that's where Luke and Anakin are from the you know the uh, heroes of 
um, you know, the, the original trilogy, the sequel or prequel trilogy. <laughs> well, this one doesn't seem to like hold that much weight to me. It's very like lively, cute, funny. It's about a mm-hmm. rock band called Star Waver, obviously. And my favorite part about it was probably like the rock and roll music mixed in with this style of art, just because mm-hmm. it seemed kind of like the Western world and the Eastern world kind of colliding. Um, I thought it was a cute, fun little episode, but it wasn't one of my favorites. I thought it was a little bit, uh, dumb, <laughs> but I what did you think of this one? I mean, the animation was still good. I will say that for all of them across the board, but this was a very different style. It was more of a cutesy anime Hamtaro style. Yeah, you're right. Um, did you, were you familiar with that term? I, Hamtaro is, is a good way of putting it. I, I, the big eyes, yeah. the big, you know, like it's cute to watch. All of the band members are yeah. are very unique, very fun. Um, but it's I, not a heavy episode at all to me. It's sort of just like I watched it and I was like, all right, on to the next. Yeah, the, the characters are sort of um, exaggerated in their proportions and everything. Even the adult characters like have more childlike proportions. <laughs> it's, uh, it's definitely unique in that regard um yeah just odd to see like this kind of rock opera sort of scenario within star wars but um you know worth checking out and of course tatooine's a planet where we've we got you know in universe music for the first time in star wars with um like the the band in the cantina so i think they're kind of playing off of that tradition in star wars um you know that, that there that this is a world that has music and culture um but it would be bizarre if this were an actual like canon, <laughs> you know <laughs> that they the it's just straight up rock music with you know drums and guitars and i don't know i suppose that stuff could all exist within the star wars universe uh, but I, I think one criticism i've heard of these short films is, is that they they do tend to feel a bit too like real world uh, mm-hmm. for Star Wars. Um, and like with the first one being so influenced by the films of Akira Kurosawa and like Japanese um, folklore or um, fiction, you know, and, and culture, like um, it feels more like it's set on earth in Japan than it does in some kind of, Star Wars universe, apart from you know, the fact that there's droids and aliens. I 100% agree with that. It's sort of like there's a Blink-182 concert, but like the big giant chubby mm. worm is there, which I can't remember his name, <laughs> but, but he's rocking on in the audience. And yeah. I mean, it's still, it's still, it's a fun little story about how this guy, you know, has a dream and his dream comes true. And it was light. And I think it was probably the perfect second episode because the first one was a little more grit a little more heavy, a little more intense. And I think by doing this one as the second vision, it sort of like shows you what a wide array of animation and like content you might be getting as you make your way through the series. It's a really good point. There probably was um, some strategy as to how they ordered these episodes, uh, to, you know, to keep kind of the flow. Um, I don't know, just, just sort of um, natural and organic, you know, have these episodes flow from one to the next and not having two episodes consecutively be too like similar thematically or visually. 
Um, yeah, and the, and the third film, or third, yeah, short film is kind of similarly bizarre, I would say, but in a in a totally different way. There's a lot more like force elements in in the twins. <laughs> um, I think all of these uh, episodes have strong elements of like the force and as far as i know they all have lightsabers in them <laughs> does, does that I think sound so yeah that sounds about right um and with the twins what i had in my notes was this one felt the most star wars to me okay. of the, all the ones that i saw that i just feel like this one had the way it was filmed you know with lots of swings of the camera like lots of movement during the battle um the the sabers cutting across the ship. I don't know. It was very like intense over the top visuals. Mm. And I felt like it played a lot of homage to like the star Wars lore, you knowing the star Wars world more than me. Like, would you say that this one kind of fell into that world? Maybe the most, the best. I, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't like this uh, episode quite as much as some of the others. Cause it's, it's just so over the top. Um, but it's it's very operatic and it's about these characters who are extremely powerful force users. So it kind of makes sense that it would just be so wild <laughs> in its, its de uh, depiction of the conflict that erupts between these two twins who were like force experiments. <laughs> and then now they're like leading their own um, segment of the, the empire um it's it says in the bat aftermath of the battle of exegol the remnants of the first order and the sith eternal begin the construction of two conjoined star destroyers that house a large super laser capable of destroying destroying planets that's very star warsy to mm -hmm. <laughs> honestly and the dialogue to me seemed very star warsy that like one of the lines they said is must i remind you the purpose of your birth i was like mm -hmm. that feels like something that would definitely be, I don't know, just like the that bit of drama in it felt Star Wars. I mean, I'm sure that in the actual Star Wars movie, you cannot take a lightsaber and cut the Star Destroyer in half. But like logic doesn't have a place, so it's fine. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I like logic in Star Wars. You know, people, I, I think, sometimes misattribute sort of uh, a lack of logic to Star Wars, whereas I, I find it can be highly logical if you just allow just for, for a bit of creative imagination as to how some of these elements actually uh, work practically and functionally. Uh, you know, the force to me isn't anything totally esoteric. It's, I mean, it's just sort of the mystery that surrounds us all. And there happen to be certain people who can sort of harness that and uh, you know, with extreme like levels of training <laughs> and focus, you can eventually like just manipulate the very fabric of the universe uh, ever so slightly, really, because these Jedi, you know, and and super powered individuals you see in the Star Wars universe, they really, you know, generally aren't, you know they're still vulnerable they're not invincible they, mm -hmm. there are a few exceptions where like you see them perform incredible feats of you know magic essentially but that's that's very uncommon um so so like the i i feel like th there's something about you know even in our world like 
the connection between consciousness and uh, the universe, you know, there's some strange stuff that <laughs> that goes on there uh, that we don't fully understand. And like the Jedi's mastery of the force comes from exploring that esoteric mystery, the space that we, you know, those subtle influences that we don't really even understand about our own consciousness. Uh, yeah. But yeah. And I think that exactly what you're saying about how you can like find these things within like maybe even like nature or something around us, like that is what. I know I'm jumping to the next one, but that's kind of what I had noted for the village bride, which I think was episode four. Yep, that's um, the next one. But the village bride, I feel like they kind of tap into a little bit of like the power of nature and the power of like the things that be, not just like the Star Wars force power. Mm-hmm. But but I, I like seeing that and I like seeing those tie-ins because it helps make the story for the viewer, I think even more like, obtainable and, and, and relatable. Well, and Star Wars is so heavily influenced by Eastern mysticism um, and like the samurai tradition, um, Japanese filmmaking, you know, there's a lot of direct influences that George Lucas just even straight up cites in some of his commentary on, uh, you know, his inception of Star Wars. Um, that it makes sense that that these things would appeal to a Japanese audience, and and now we're seeing how these influences are now being used by creators from Japan to tell their own stories within the Star Wars universe. And it is interesting how you know I, I'm not sure if there were specific prompts given to these creators, but there's a certain sort of through line um, connecting all of these nine episodes. You know, a lot of like, you know, the force, lightsabers, things that they just share in common that I think appeal specifically to the the Japanese audience. I was only able to catch a few of the bonus scenes on Disney Plus. Uh, there's an extras tab. I didn't. Yeah, I haven't watched any. And from what I saw, and again, there could be more. The parameters were really like they have this time limit. Um, they were able to use basically anything that they could pull from the galaxy, the the world that was created. And I think it just speaks so much to like how well created that world is that like so many different artists can come to it and create unique episodes. And they still ring true to Star Wars because from what I could understand is these artists really had a lot of freedom which made the task almost like daunting because it would almost be easier if you're like, hey, you're gonna explore XYZ with these things and you're gonna explore ABC with those things. But um, they were able to come up with really unique concepts while having kind of the broad range of Lucas films to explore. But um, I do suggest for anyone who has seen these and, and for you too, Philip, to go watch those extras because it is really fun to see how excited the directors and the animation studios were about this project. Because like you said, they had grown up watching Star Wars and they saw the Eastern influence within the Star Wars films and how cool is it to circle back, bring it home and now use their art forms to really emphasize that culture, but also like, yeah, yeah I don't, you know what I mean? It's like comes full circle, like Star Wars is um, inspired by the East and now East gets, you know, the chance to bring back from the West. It was just really awesome. It's brilliant. I, I would love to see more of it for sure. So many of these episodes involve like 
a force user in peril <laughs> um, or like a very evil, I don't know, like a Sith character who's um, so- sometimes they're hidden, sometimes they're out in the open, but still tons of diversity and uniqueness uh, amongst all these nine episodes. With The Village Bride, um, I don't know, there's yeah, kind of a more down-to-earth um, example of like the civilization that you know has to offer tribute or something to these raiders <laughs> they programmed old separatist battle droids and are holding a village hostage um so it's, and there are these uh, characters that sort of intervene um one of them is a force wielder uh there's there's these two sisters the the bandits are all killed and uh I, were any of the good guys killed in in the village bride i can't remember um i don't think so it deserves a second watch yeah um (laughs) i don't think so (laughs) i don't think so either uh having some internet issues again Uh, so (laughs) basically with the village oh sorry let me know when i'm back You're, you're back Okay, perfect. So the thing that I noted about the Village Bride of all of them is that I feel like the Village Bride is the one that could hold its own without being a Star Wars story. I really liked the plot of this one, um, that this girl was going to basically sacrifice herself for the greater good of her community. Um, And, you know, there's kind of some back and forth about whether or not her sacrifice is the right thing to do. It's sort of like Belle when she goes to the Beast in exchange for her father. Um, and, and her sister, like you said, ends up getting tied into all of it. And I, this is one where I feel like it really could have been a movie all its own. I wanted to know more about this character. I wanted to know more about her father, how he had, or sorry, I think it was her grandfather was originally Mm -hmm. captured. Um, but, um, this one was really, really good. I, I really appreciated this one. It was a little bit more simple, a little bit more grounded, um, it had beautiful orchestration, a lot of traditional Japanese music in the background. Mm. And you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think a lot of the scenery was like hand painted. And I, I, I really enjoyed this one. It was probably, it was in my top two. Awesome. Yeah, um, definitely a, a gorgeous addition uh, to the Star Wars, um, I guess, uh, <laughs> library. I was going to say the canon, but um you know, yet to determine, you know, how much these would fall into, you know, the official canon. Um, but I, I guess as a hypothetical, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's a definitely a fun, um, you know, example of just uh, letting the imagination run wild. Right. Um, and this one didn't really need the Star Wars, I think. Don't you, don't, would you agree? No. Like this one would have yeah. been on its own just fine. It didn't use it didn't use a lot of Star Wars elements. I like the um, Beauty and the Beast comparison. Um, yeah, there, and there was a ship, you know, at the end, very reminiscent of the you know most famous ship in Star Wars, the uh, Millennium Falcon, kind of a similar uh, model ship. Um, but yeah, this uh, is followed by the Ninth Jedi, a very Jedi-centric episode. It says it's set many generations after the Jedi Order has become mostly extinct. Uh, Margrave Juro invites seven Jedi to his aerial temple to receive lightsabers. 
This is the one where as soon as yeah. that little like transmission came through, it was like, we need all the like wannabe Jedi's to come to town. I was like, this is a trap. I, I, I called it from like, I thought from the get go that that was a trap. Um, but they end up making their way over there and it, it wasn't necessarily a trap. It was sort of just like there's twists and turns about who was there once they make it, you know? Yeah. Interesting. Uh, you know, this one has a concept of, like the Jedi wielder determines the color of the lightsaber. Yeah. That's sort of what we talked about at the beginning, because I think they were saying that all of the lightsabers had been either like destroyed or had gone extinct. Mm -hmm. So there was sort of like a blacksmith or I guess a saber smith yeah. who was constructing new ones. And um, his daughter is sort of part of that process. And, and I do like it when the girl, a girl is like a lead and, and she's kind of force sensitive, isn't she? Mm -hmm. Yeah. This kind of felt like a, a Miyazaki film where he has multiple uh, female protagonists in throughout his films, like Spirited Away and Kiki's Delivery Service, um, just, um, Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind, you know, these um, brave uh, female characters who, um, you know, perform various kind of, sometimes they're in action scenarios or, or perilous situations. And this, this girl, her father, he, he he isn't killed, but they have to, um, at the end, try to, you know, uh, attempt to rescue him from whoever, the, the hunters, the bounty hunters who captured him. But yeah, it, it, like this had the twist of like the wannabe Jedi igniting their lightsabers to reveal they're all red, <laughs> except for the one um, actual light side user, Ethan, um, who his lightsaber is blue. Uh, but there is one member of like the the wannabe Jedi uh, who um, does come around like after some of the Sith are taken out. Um, so it's kind of like the the Force um, connection, like just like bleeds over <laughs> into uh, like they're I don't know some some of these characters are just like. Um, subject to peer pressure it seems this this one guy you know or af after most of the sith are taken out like one of them is able to then kind of like come to a census it's kind of an interesting concept i don't know yeah that he's able to sort of like turn it around mm -hmm. uh yeah I, the heroes from the ninth jedi have to go and search for the girl kara's uh, father who is being held on a sith controlled planet Apparently, so so kind of another one of those episodes where just all bad Jedi or Sith. I don't know, yeah, an interesting you know lore being developed here with like yeah how the how lightsabers work, how the Force works. Uh, some of it I like, some of it's kind of I don't know a little. Long ago, a great warrior came to this village and entrusted our ancestors with this. Its power and responsibility now lie with you. You've been guided by the Force since you were born. At last, the moment arrives. 
first time I've confronted such darkness. Something ancient and sinister. I accept this responsibility. What a nightmare. Oh, <laughs> um, last night. Ryan's uh, like, Ryan's like, do you get to like talk about the one you wanted to talk about? I was like, no. And it's like storming mm. and like our electricity is out. And I was like, I feel like the fates had other things in mind. Like, yeah, I, I was getting so frazzled. I mean, I've been learning more and more how to deal with the stress of things like this to the point where it's it's pretty smooth now whenever I need to try to perform but uh yeah last night there was just sort of a culmination of things that, that made it a little bit uh dicey i have my uh my coffee again here's my my ralph breaks the internet cup i have this lacroix <laughs> and i was like oh what a cool flavor cherry blossom no, oh wow no no like imagine sticking a cherry bro like a beautiful cherry blossom but like imagine chewing on it it's huh. gonna taste like and this tastes like Oh, it's not good at all. Yeah, I mean, LaCroix is pretty subtle, like the flavors are are, are kind of bland, I find. But I don't know. Um, the, I, I mainly do the Spindrift uh, sparkling waters, which have more flavor in them. Yeah, uh, I, I, I love all of them. These yeah. are just the ones that were like three for nine dollars, like three packs for nine dollars. Yeah. Like, that's something I you know what's wild though? Hmm. I, this is aluminum, so it's a little different. But did you hear somewhere that we consume as much plastic in a month as a credit card? Like the average American consumes oh, plastic. Yeah, just plastic particles in their water or their string cheese mm -hmm. or their meat or whatever you're eating. Mm. Or the wrapping of your Taco Bell. Like there's enough oh. pieces of plastic in what the average american consumes that it's equivalent to one credit card a month wow i mean a lot of it i think probably passes through you but i'm sure a lot of it also doesn't you know what i mean yeah i mean that adds up <laughs> if that's the case but uh yeah i mean i i could see how it's just such a small amount that yeah it's not really anything dangerous um Okay, welcome back, Jody. Uh, this is day two of attempting this podcast on Star Wars Visions. And uh, yesterday, it was storming where you were. You had internet cutting in and out. I had my internet showing that it was dropping as well. I don't know what was happening, but uh, all these hiccups out of the way. We'll try to wrap this up, and hopefully this will be... I I'm sure once I edit, edit it together it'll be fairly, um, you know, on, I, I don't know, hopefully it won't be too noticeable. Yeah, I mean, it, it cut out right before we started to talk about my favorite vision episode, which was TOB1. Um, I think it's the sixth one in the series, correct? 
That's right. Uh, number six. This yeah. one was Saru Studios, and immediately it was my favorite. It's very whimsical, wonderful, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, has a fairy tale vibe to it. And you get to meet this character who's reminiscent of like kind of a mixture between like Rapunzel and Pinocchio. It's this little boy robot who uh, has a big imagination. He has big dreams. He's kind of seeing the world through his star youthful eyes. And he works on making it uh, have life along with his master. Um, and it was really, really cool. Again, it was an art style that I felt pulled away from some of the others. It was still obviously inspired by that Japanese um, mm. anime, but yeah. the coloring, there's lots of blues, there's lots of just lightness about it. And I mean, you can attest to how it's just much more of like a child cartoon, mm. like roly poly oly maybe, or like the little prince. Yeah, I like the style of this one. I know you mentioned like a ham taro style uh is that like a series about a hamster as the main <laughs> character or something um yes, it I, is. I didn't yes, it is. i should have made a point to look that up but like they also have chibi uh, you know japanese anime style which is sort of the exaggerated you know proportions and stuff and such which they used on tatooine rhapsody um but i like this a lot this fit really well for um you know this subject sort of like astro boys like this uh robot um child that has been built by i guess uh this uh, character uh professor mitika mitaka mitaka okay and he was a jedi in hiding that sort of yeah, you yeah. sort of find that out as it goes along. Um, the droid, TOB1, he's dreaming about being a Jedi Knight. He's really distracted at the, that dream. And mm. his, would you call it a master, his professor? Or um, his builder. <laughs> his builder, yeah. Like, again, it's sort of like Pinocchio and Geppetto relationship, in sure. my opinion. Um, it's sort of telling him to stay focused um, and work on bringing life to another planet. But then he also tells him, like, in order to become a Jedi, he has to find a, a kyber crystal so he can make a lightsaber. So TOB1 is, like, scouring the planet, doesn't mm -hmm. find anything, but eventually ends up in the basement. And it's, like, Beauty and the Beast, like, you shall never go to the basement. That was the one place he told him not to go. He finds a starship and sends out a signal that brings in evil or, like, any, a Sith, I guess. Yeah, a Sith Inquisitor, which is... a. Uh, type of character that we're seeing more and more of now in certain aspects of the Star Wars universe that we've been exploring lately. Um, today, is, as we're recording, is the debut of the Obi-Wan Kenobi Disney Plus series, and he'll be facing off against um, Sith Inquisitors in that show. Maybe I'll watch it, actually, after seeing all of these little visions. Yeah, I think a lot of people will be catching up with this latest series, whether they've seen some of the previous uh, Disney Plus series, because, um, you know, Obi-Wan is just such a famous legacy character. I think there's a lot going to be a lot of um, just fun scenarios for anyone, even casual fans to really pick up on in this series. Uh, so you don't really have to be too up on your Star Wars to, to appreciate it. Um, and this uh, 
you know, of course, introduces some interesting concepts that sort of stretch the logic of Star Wars and and, and my necessary uh, rules. Com- <laughs> yeah, my my rule set that I I'd like to stick to, you know. And I guess that's that is the purpose of all these kind of crazy animated shorts that aren't you know canon and so forth. We've we've gone into this, but in this episode, it's like. Okay, a droid. <laughs> what if a droid wanted to become a Jedi? And it's like, uh... is a droid just <laughs> supposed to be a robot? Is that what a robot would be? Yeah, I mean, a non-organic creation. You know, however, like when it comes to artificial intelligence, I mean, I feel like once it gets complex enough, it could become indistinguishable from an organic. I think in in this short film he is mm-hmm. supposed to have some type of you know higher intelligence because yeah. he's he's painting the walls of his room like you see his drawings and I, they he has dreams so he, you're supposed to just assume that he has a conscious above a robot. Yeah. Well, yeah, um, it's like like the replicants from Blade Runner. Have you read? Um, it's not. I've watched it. I haven't. Yeah. Read do it. do androids dream of electric sheep? That's that's the book. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the movie Blade Runner. Um, yeah, replicants. Um, you know they have emotions. They're indistinguishable from humans. They're just you know stronger physically, more you know d- um, imposing than a human. But as a result, they have shorter lifespans as well. Um, but yeah, like in Star Wars, you know, they can build droids that are indistinguishable from humans and have like a fully formed consciousness. My theory is that this leads to problems, however, you know, droids. And this has even become a plot point in Star Wars where a droid uprising has occurred in one of the films, Solo, a Star Wars story, and that allows certain characters to like escape this mining colony. Um, so I, I think in the Star Wars universe, there's just a general policy not to build droids that are capable of presenting like, like a fully formed consciousness. <laughs> uh, and rather it's, it's more advantageous to keep them as, as subservient. Yeah, I mean, this one, this little to, to be one, to, be one Toby I guess you can call yeah, him, just call him Toby, Toby I um he's he's not gonna cause too much trouble or maybe like cause a rebellion mm-hmm. he wants to be good he wants to be a Jedi but I could see how it would uh, cause some problems if you had a bunch of droids who were out slicing off people's arms and dueling left and right <laughs> yeah he's a he's a good guy he's a Jedi um and then I, I guess the one nitpick is like the ship he discovers I think has only ever been used as like a an an in atmosphere vehicle, the T sixteen Skyhopper. It's not supposed to be outfitted for space travel, in you know <laughs> other iterations. What's he doing? Uh, what's it doing in the basement? I don't know. <laughs> it's professor's house. I guess that's a version of that ship that can go into space. <laughs> that's easily explained away, I guess. Uh, yeah, but... we get to suspend our disbelief <laughs> for this one. Yeah. Did you like this one? This one, like I said, was my favorite. Would you say that this was one of your top or not? I, I would say, yeah, probably top three for me. Um, you know, top top three, I would say, are, um, you know, the 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 following, uh, number seven, the elder, um, it was my favorite, and then probably the duel, my second favorite, and then 
and then probably this one. Um, this one just had a lot of cohesion. Um, Toby, you know, the, the art style, the um, likability of the characters. So, yeah, this is a good, uh, great episode. Definitely, definitely. I think the next one is your favorite, then, isn't it? The Elder, right? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I, I mean, yeah. These a lot of crazy drama in all these um, short films, and um, of course, continuing on from how there's a lot of um, just stark, uh, I guess, plot developments that occur within all the star wars films and and they do tend to go really dark at times you know luke discovering his aunt and uncle are killed in in the first you know in the original star wars um you know in you know there's something like that that happens in the tob one episode uh in this one we're in in number seven the elder you know we're following um a two jedi a master and apprentice says uh according to this description uh, centuries after the death of Darth Bane, who was a famous Sith Lord from hundreds of years before the um, the films, the Star Wars films, um, Ta uh, Tajin or and his Padawan Dan are sent to explore the Outer Rim. Uh, Tajin, I think that's how you pronounce it, senses a disturbance in the Force, and um, you know they. Um, discover the existence of a mysterious elder man who hiked to a mountaintop within um, uh, you know, kind of this isolated region. Um, there's a remote village. Uh, this, this seemed like uh, the kind of episode that would be fun to like extend into a, a series and follow the adventures of these characters, uh, Tajin and Dan. That's that's mainly why I like this one so much. It felt like sort of like an Avatar: The Last Airbender, um, but um, you know, set in the Star Wars universe. So I think that'd be really fun. You know, they they discover this elder, and you know, there's a a fight that ensues, um, and you almost think that um, that Dan is killed at one point. Um, <laughs> I in fact, when I was rewatching this. I couldn't remember whether he survived or not. Um, I thought maybe he actually did, you know, bite the big one, and um, that—that's just kind of how dark these some of these shows are willing to go. Um, but and thankfully, yeah, was, you know, Dan does live to see another day, and, and maybe we could see future adventures with these characters um, further down the road. Yeah, what did you yeah. think? Yeah relationship a lot I loved the and I mean you probably see this a lot in the relationships between the Padawans and their masters or whatever what do they call mm -hmm. it their their leader the, <laughs> um, yeah, the Jedi master just, Jedi Padawan yeah yeah just the deep respect they have for each other is really clear and they kind of have like a playfulness but also like you can tell how he really mm -hmm. like honors and looks up to him um, I thought the animation of the two characters was really good too, mm -hmm. because Tajin, he has like a scar on his face. He's a little more weathered. Like you can tell he's been through something, like he has this experience. And then Dan, you know, he's, he's really light in the village scenes. He's playing with the kids. He's like winking at them. You can just tell he's innocent. Um, yeah. <laughs> he's just a light person mm -hmm. and sort of, um, this experience they have together, I thought I thought it was good. Like you said, this one's a little bit more intense. I thought 
Thalder was very frightening, the way he was uh-huh. um, <laughs> drawn or how he was made. He was really, yeah, really yeah. creepy. Uh, for, for, for a villain um and so it made it made it a memorable one and my favorite part and what I had noted was at the very end he he says to Dan he not the elder um Tajin says to mm. Dan he's like don't forget your training or your kindness and I thought that was really good it's like you can be really really strong and like defeat evil and like be this intense person but like also having that focus in kindness like he doesn't have to lose that part of him to be a great Jedi um and and passing on what you learn to the next generation. I, I thought this one was really good. I agree with you. I I would watch more of the series. Like if there was another episode to the elder, I'd be playing the next episode to see where they go next. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and yeah, cool concepts, good, good messages. Um, they, uh, I love the actor, of course, David Harbour, who voices Tajin in, in the English version. He's um, Chief Hopper from Stranger Things. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, if, if you've seen Stranger Things. I mean, such a, a compelling character and kind of like this unsuspecting, sort of um, in, uh, inauspicious character who becomes just such a pivotal part of that series. You know, you just think he's kind of like this Joe Blow, you know, <laughs> cop who uh, lives in the, in this town, um, and, and he ends up being like this really heroic character in the end. Yeah, David David Harbor. He's been in a lot of stuff since, like, he really kind of his career kind of blew up with Stranger Things, I think. But he's in he's been in a lot. Um, Dan Dan's voiced by uh, actor named Jordan Fisher, um, and then like the concept of like. Tajin saying, you know, his his power is sort of on the decline. You know, he's peaked in life and now he's sort of moving on to um, you know, preparing for um the the next generation taking mm-hmm. over. And I just like how it, it describes sort of the ebbs and flows of life. Um, you know, we the more we try to hold on to things, just the more elusive they come they become. Big a big um theme within star wars i feel yeah you can feel that radiating from this one it when talking about the voice actors mm-hmm. i forgot to mention something interesting the the tattoo band the band one episode number two. Oh right yeah um the it's joseph gordon levitt who oh, voices yeah. <laughs> the the lead guitarist vocalist um mm-hmm. so they, they got some really big names coming in to do the uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's impressive. The dialogue to do the to do the voice acting. Yeah, I know. Um, it was Lucy Liu. Um, in in the uh, duel as the Sith lady. Um, <laughs> got my paper crinkling around here. Oh, Ronan was voiced by. Let's see, Brian T. Um, I, I think they it does appear they got a lot of Asian actors to do the voices. But a few mm-hmm. exceptions. Um, yeah, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, of course. You know, I don't know what what's the favorite. What's your favorite thing that he's done? Oh gosh, you know, I I like him in Five Hundred Days of Summer, but I yeah. don't like Zoe Deschanel that much. So uh-huh. I'd probably pick like Inception or like Angels sure. in the Outfield when he was like a little kid. Oh right. right? Oh well, he's, and he's, yeah. He's been in stuff a long time, so I I like him. I like those actors that stick around, those actors and actresses, where you can kind of watch them grow 
throughout the films yeah. in life. So yeah, I'm I'm yeah. looking at my um, treasure planet lithograph right uh, now. <laughs> yes, yes, he yeah. was Jim Haw Hawkins? Hawkins. Hawkins, yeah. Yes, it's been a long time since I've seen that one too. But but yeah, they got right. they got the voice actors for it. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I I don't know. He um, in that episode, the the music's good. I it's a little like. Um, cliche like the lyrics is like uh <laughs> yeah. i don't know it's it's he's he's just basically singing about his life and becoming an artist and it's kind of like oh can't you uh <laughs> you know or did you have to be so on the nose um and then the singing doesn't sound super polished but it does sound like you're actually at a live show and like they're not necessarily going to hit all the notes perfectly in that environment, which which adds a lot of authenticity, I feel, to the um, episode. Like he he doesn't it doesn't sound like he's just recording from a studio in sort of a perfectly isolated environment. Yeah, he's supposed to be a little more up and coming, less yeah. trained. You you can you can let that be part of what makes it great is the fact that he's not so great. <laughs> I mean, he's fine. I'm sure he he'd do fine. You know, if, if he got, you know, a few goes at it, but yeah, the fact that it's, it's not like, it's totally perfect, you know, just makes it all the better. Um, and I, I mean, that is a, a genre of music that I enjoy too, kind of the emo rock. <laughs> I was I reliving, I was reliving some of those today in mm -hmm. the, in the car. I was playing like emo pop classics. And as much as yeah. I'm not like an emo person or a rock and roll person, I can find ways to relate to that genre of music. So, so I, I hear you there. Oh God, Green Day, My Chemical Romance. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All the, I, I was a big Linkin Park fan. You know, the first couple of albums are pretty, still, still very listenable, I find. Um, let's see. There is now the the what what uh many people refer to as the furry episode yeah um, Lock Lock and, ocho. and ocho i you go first on your feelings but it, i really liked this one that's oh, great to yeah say, it, and they they did so much with the amount of time they had like they covered mm -hmm. so many bases it was really it was really dialed in i thought but I, I was like, why is there a bunny? After, after I watched the episode, I paused it. I was like, is there a bunny in Star Wars? Is there, and there is a character named Jackson that is in yeah, Star yeah. Wars and he's a rabbit and he's like two meters tall, whatever. And so I was like, okay, okay. Now I can accept that there was a rabbit in it. I, for me, that was yeah. like a weird, weird thing to have this bunny girl. But if it makes sense in the series, then I shouldn't have been so stuck on it. So I guess yeah. it's called a lepus carnivorous or something is the okay. the thing it's supposed to be yeah um I, is he jackson is maybe a different species than i, I think he's a hujib or something oh okay. but i i don't know it's it's all very silly and and not necessarily from the most mainstream star wars stories um yeah jackson what a, what a fun character i i think he was originally just this um <laughs> uh offhand character from the uh 
you know, there were tons of Star Wars comics back in the day and they were just really wild. Um, and he was styled after basically um, Bugs Bunny and, and the way he spoke and, you know, the sort of Brooklyn uh mannerisms you know hey well, you know, i think it's different lop lop is yeah. not so odd i mean she does come from a different planet i was like she must have come from zootopia or something like that like okay. how did she end up here but she ends up joining that family and then it's just a messy family what did you think of the plot for this one yeah um yeah the theme of like legacy um yeah i guess uh Jackson is something called a lepi. Oh, a lepi. Yeah. I don't know. I wrote yeah. lepis. So maybe I was well, on track with it. <laughs> I don't know. It's yeah. I mean, all this, this stuff has gone through sort of changes and um, clarification over the years. Like, you know, they, some of these things find their way into more and more, um, shall we say, reputable uh, versions of Star Wars. Because, um, you know, a lot of those early comics are, are very strictly non-canon um and then um but but the, a lot of the later stuff will borrow you know characters species different aspects of the the earlier stuff that was maybe not quite as you know rigid <laughs> with the rules um but let's see um, yeah i'll try to find uh, a lop on on this uh website as well let's see and yeah it's it's like um you know dealing with she, she yeah she says that she's a slave um disney seems to have kind of gotten on this thing lately where they're very reticent to use that word you know slave and in a lot of contexts i mean i think in within the actual show you know it's like it's fine or within the films but um you probably won't see a lot of marketing out there or merchandising that that has a word slave like slave leia no or yeah. <laughs> or boba fett's ship the slave one they seem to be getting away from that yeah i mean they didn't even really have to say it. you see that um she comes in with a not a oh my gosh not a noose but like a a, like a chain around her neck essentially that they take off of her and mm -hmm. Ocho's real eager to make her part of the family and the dad was sort of like no 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 um mm -hmm. but it's cool how this episode they let a lot of time pass do you know what I mean like they start with their kids and then as the episode goes on they're older I don't think any of the other visions had a time gap like that do you know what I mean where you feel like time has passed throughout the episode no yeah that, it was one, the first yeah. one that did that and I, yeah. I I liked that a lot it made you feel like mm -hmm. this relationship that you're witnessing has grown and I also really liked how it showcased well-meaning people turning to conflict or being on the wrong side of conflict okay. which in this case was Lop's uh sister Ocho okay. you know what I mean I thought I thought that was good like they both were good kids they were both well-meaning individuals, but they mm -hmm. took different directions on how they, how they thought they needed to go about their futures, you know? Yeah. Well, even that family that, you know, adopts Lop is, you know, almost, um, you get the sense this is like a, a crime Lord potentially. Yes. He was drawn. <laughs> 
he looks like a like I don't know if the word is like a thug, but mm. I thought that too. Like I was like, what is this family actually about here? <laughs> exactly. So it's kind of some ambiguity, more ambiguity. Okay, so Hujibs are like a little rabbit. They're, they're like an actual you know yeah. rodent type species, and the lepi or or however you uh, uh, you seem to give the like the actual um taxonomic <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know the scientific name for for whatever species that uh, you know the lepi um that lop and jackson are both members of um so they are the same species lop and jackson so this was probably <laughs> one of them where i watched the extras the behind the scenes yeah. Uh, and they must have said it at one point in there, because that's definitely not something I would have come up on my own volition. <laughs> sure. Yeah. The, um, so, yeah, at the end of this, of course, um, is it Yasaburo is the father? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, I don't know, is he, he <laughs> sort of like, uh, I, and of course, um, warlords were a big part of Japanese culture, kind of, um, yeah, regional lords who were sort of the aristocrats that and, and a lot of times they wielded military influence you know they would hire samurai and like ninjas to do their bidding but yeah this lightsaber is a, a member of or a, a piece of their legacy as well this family i that was kind of cool like yeah the, the yasaburo officially passes down the weapon you tell he's had kind of a rough life with all the scarring on his body and uh, with two daughters yeah. <laughs> I'm sure that, that was probably a trial for him too having yeah. two daughters two strong-willed daughters but yeah he passes yeah. down that family treasure yeah he he reveals the treasure to lop but you know you you get the sense that he's already done this sort of um show and tell with uh with ocho because that was his, you know, blood um, descendant, but uh, you know, he, he wasn't necessarily expecting to uh, ha have have to um, turn to Lop as the you know family member to really carry on the fa the family legacy. Once uh, Ocho, you know, essentially betrays them, she you know she doesn't think that she's betraying them it's you know the empire's a means to you know promote um the enrichment of this planet planet tau but um it kind of reminded me of and i mean you can see these themes throughout so many different stories but uh the movie dune or the book dune oh yeah you know you think you're coming in to help and what you don't realize is you're being manipulated into Doing yeah. something that maybe would have you know what i mean where it's like the the motive is not always clear but you think you're doing what's right and yeah i liked with this one you know at the end like lope vows to return Oto home and i like that i think you're meant to assume that they will reconcile in some capacity and she will bring her back again i like mm -hmm. how they left it open-ended and you can sort of see that potentially winding up mm -hmm. or maybe there's going to be a huge giant battle but but that she's going to go find her and try to bring her back into the fold. Yeah, that'd be fun. I, I hope we get a sequel. Um, yeah, just a yeah, very um, poignant moment when um, Ocho uh, realizes that, uh, his, that from her, her uh, perspective, her father betrayed her by 
um, you know, the, giving the uh, inheritance to a different member of the family. I, I guess like it's a prodigal son sort of situation, a prodigal daughter. Yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, so the, the final one's called Akakiri. I'm not really sure what that name refers to, but I could probably easily Google it. I don't know. I see like I <laughs> went on out of my way to not really do too much investigation into all this stuff because I knew I didn't have way too much to talk about already. It, it would be such a deep dive. I mean, every show has its own studio, has its own plot, has its own aesthetic. And this episode, I get to listen to you talk about because my internet wouldn't work when I wanted to watch it. So you can tell me what you thought of it and what it's like. <laughs> um, it's, it's fun. It kind of gave me vibes of like uh, Chronicles of Riddick sort of films, like these characters crossing this alien desert environment to get to like a citadel that's um, being presided over by this uh, usurper character a sith woman named masago <laughs> named after a piece of sushi masago the, there's like uh two characters who are i think romantic interests um misa and subaki uh subaki is a jedi um and he's suffering from visions uh and yeah they're just trying to overthrow this usurper um I think she might be like the aunt or she's kind of like Scar, I guess, you know, just a, a member of this royal family. But yes, it's, it kind of ends abruptly as well. Ends on a, a sort of a dour note, um, surprisingly, considering it's the last of the nine in, in this anthology. Um, I'm but, happy to hear that because yeah. I was worried that I might be missing like the grand finale. But you mm -hmm. think it's on par with some of the others. It wasn't like the standout. Yeah, it's fun. It's it's a fun little adventure. You know, it's, it's something that could easily be expanded upon. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm uh, I wonder if Akakuri. Oh, it means red haze. So um, yeah, it's it's I guess sort of like Dune in a way too. Where yeah, there's planets. It's got a very distinctive look to it. It's a sort of a red, you know, Mars-like planet. Um, there's there's these mounts where they're they're riding um, like the these ostrich-style mounts. It's kind of reminiscent of um, Avatar: The Last Airbender, where they have these creatures called horse riches, <laughs> just a hybrid of horse and ostrich. Uh, so similar creativity here. Kind of a unique art style. I don't know if it, they use cell shading for this um, this short, but um, kind of just a very distinctive, like um, more sketch-like in, in certain aspects. Uh, so I don't know. All all these um, different studios kind of have their own particular aesthetic as well. Um, I was going to mention in the Elder that was um, a studio that also did. That was a studio that also did the Twins Studio Trigger. Oh, um, two. Yep. I wonder how they got away with that. I mean, it had to be such an honor to be selected for even one. Yeah. So they probably presented two ideas and 
we're just given the go-ahead, huh? Yeah, I think they, they're probably a fairly prolific studio um, at this point. They, they're, I think, mainly known for the series Kill la Kill. That was a big deal, I know, um, when that was running. A um, lot of, lot of um, I don't know, I'm, I've got sort of a passing familiarity with the uh, anime fan community. And there's always sort of series that are currently very popular. And if you, you go to like an anime convention, you'll see a lot of cosplayers from a lot of the hot uh, new anime series that happen to be um, sort of charting at that particular time. Um, I really missed the loop on that because a lot of my friends who are in like the cosplay community, there's MomoCon, which is a big anime convention in Atlanta and it's happening this weekend. And it okay. is something I wish I had gotten more into, but I think us being from a small town, we didn't get quite as much exposure yeah. to those types of things growing up. So I've never really embraced all of it or understand all of it, but I definitely feel like I can appreciate um, the animation style, but I don't know many of the storylines or many of the characters, no matter how popular they might be. Yeah. Well, P Pikachu, I guess mm -hmm. Pikachu is an anime, isn't he? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Detective Pikachu, I guess, was a, a big deal recently. Um, and then the Pokemon series, you know, it was huge <laughs> when we were kids. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's a very popular thing. I mean, I remember loving the style of Japanese anime when I was young, but I, I didn't really, you know, follow it religiously. And in certain ways, like I've, I've kind of developed an affinity for that style, but not nearly to the point of like a, a lot of the people who are just really into it nowadays. You know, it's, it's, it is really its own um, phenomenon that I've, I've really not kept um, current with. <laughs> That's all right. At least these these visions got to expose us a little bit to some of these really amazing studios that stand out. And I would yeah. love to see, I think I said it at the beginning and I'll say it now at the end, I would love to see more projects like this um, where people are able to take an inspirational company, whether it be like the Disney Princess line or the Star Wars line or the, you know, and, and put their own twist on it and present these shorts because I think it was super fun as a consumer to experience Star Wars in this unique way. Yeah, yeah I, um, you know, hopefully we'll be able to take in some more anime in my near future. There, there's some series that I've made a point to, to follow and they're, they're very good. And I was, there's just certain kind of like barriers if, you know, even, you know, whether you're watching subtitled or dubbed, um, just, you know, you have to, you know, get over, you know, the fact that there are certain like cultural differences that, um, you know, just certain, certain um, ways in which, and I've talked about Japanese films on, on the show before, but yeah, like um, they, you know, have their own sort of cadence and rhythm, um, to how sort of the, the characters behave and and um you know how the stories are told and um and sometimes it's very similar to you know how we're used to uh stories being presented in you know western 
cultures, you know, in American style uh, film and television. Uh, but in other ways, it can be very different. Um, and a lot of that comes from the production value as well. Uh, so sometimes, you know, it's just the, the animation is a little bit more limited. It's a little um, less detailed or uh, smooth. Um, but, but yeah, there's a lot of great stuff from Japan. Um, and, and, you know, if you get a chance to check it out, this is a great introduction to it, as well as uh, hopefully an opportunity for sort of a, a merger between um, an American production company and some of these Japanese artists to really um, bring this style, which I really like, this aesthetic to a more Western audience and sensibility. Um, so yeah, hopefully more of it will, um, will hopefully, <laughs> hopefully more of it will be getting. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, thank you, Jody. Uh, you know, I apologize. It sounds like we've been having some internet issues even today while recording. Um, I know. Like... <laughs> I hope that's not from my end again. I swear no. by the next by the next series, like my internet. It's going to be better than ever. I, I don't know what's going on, but, but we made it through. Oh. We made it through all nine. And that is a feat because I, I was worried. That's a lot of content. <laughs> yeah. I, I've just totally like, I'm not going to worry about these being too polished. I, you know, life's too short, you know, anyone listening, I, I'm just so grateful and uh, hopefully, you know, it's It's at least somewhat tolerable and interesting um, but yeah, I mean, I, I love listening to people talk about sort of the, you know, their ingestion of these various um, you know, types of things, you know, stories and, you know, myth making and how they uh, interpret sort of um, some of these cool ideas. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it can be frustrating if every time I try to go to type something into my internet search bar or uh you know my web browser it starts to cut out uh, and uh, <laughs> yeah so they're gonna have to I... just deal with us on our best guesses and i mean hopefully yeah. people who have watched this actually will dig even deeper because yeah uh, there's a lot to know so i think we did our best and i think i think people appreciate that yeah i know we this is fine this stupid internet i guess today just wasn't uh working at its optimum um, I thought I had decent internet here and it doesn't, ha you know, hasn't seemed to have been a problem on previous episodes, but today it was just um, really tripping and um, hopefully next time I'll just be more mindful of it and, um, you know, not rely so much on having to do research on the fly as well. <laughs> yeah, we're going to have to go back to um, pencil and paper for our notes. Exactly. Well, thank you, Jody, again. And um, yeah, well, hopefully we'll be back with more Thoughtcast sometime soon. Yeah. You know, that's uh, a lot, lot of fun stuff going on with the new Star Wars series and, of course, the Star Wars Celebration um, convention going on with lots of announcements on upcoming Star Wars projects. So, so a big, big Star Wars fan like myself, you know, it's definitely, you know, excited about a lot, a lot of these new developments, but um, I'm glad you enjoyed your time getting a little 
glimpse of the the universe with these animated shorts and um, yeah hopefully uh, it won't be too long before we have another thoughtcast uh, you know things like Lightyear for example are coming coming oh, in yeah. the future so uh, stay tuned for for things for like that. that yeah yeah um do you want to mention any social media jody yeah i mean if you're not looking for star wars stuff like you can find us on tiktok well us i'm saying but me uh <laughs> jody pulaski j-o-d-i-p-o-l-a-s-k-y 47 and that's really the only social i've been on lately just with the busyness of life uh or you can find me here every couple of weeks as we dive into animation together Awesome. Well, thank you. And uh, you can find the Thodcast, of course, thodcast.com and various uh, streaming platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, um, Spotify, SoundCloud. Um, find us at Thodcast on Twitter and Instagram. Find me, Philip Elke. It's Philip with one L at Philip Elke on Twitter and Instagram. And well, um, this concludes our little Star Wars coverage here. Star Wars month, um, recently a 45 year anniversary of the original Star Wars from May 25th, uh, 1977. So yeah, may the force be with you. Uh, have a, and yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say, and warm hugs, but I know that you're about to do it. <laughs> Well, um, the sign-off, yeah, may the force be with you. Have a, a magical day. Have a wonderful week. And then... Warm hugs. In summer. <laughs>